Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. I'm Andrea Fuentes. I'm the Associate Director for Programming for LA Opera Connects, which is the Community Engagement and Learning Office for LA Opera. And today we are joined by three very amazing creative people who are going to tell us a little bit about uh, a new project for our secondary in-school opera about Ada Lovelace. It's called Edge of a Dream. And I'm joined by Eli Villanueva, Juhi Bansal, and Neil Aitken. So welcome to all of you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for having Thank us. you. But if you wouldn't mind telling me just a little bit about yourself. So my name is Juhi Bansal. I'm the composer for this project. I wrote the music. I'm from India originally. I grew up in Hong Kong. So there's some quirky things in the music that are maybe not completely normal. Um, what you'd expect to hear from a, a Western classical piece. And I also did, as Neil and I were talking about, we kind of bonded when we started talking about an older project actually, a Charles Babbage project that we had done because Neil I think worked as a programmer for a while. I started doing a computer science degree when I was at USC before I switched to focus on composition so that was just one of those things that really I think we bonded over and we wanted to tell this story. I'm Neil Aiken. I'm a Canadian of Chinese, Scottish, and English descent and I grew up in uh, Canada, uh, Saudi Arabia, Taiwan, and then back to Canada with brief stops occasionally in the U.S. until I went to school for my undergraduate and my graduate school was all in the U.S. As was kind of alluded to by Juhi already, I, uh, I actually started off initially, my undergraduate degree was in computer science and I minored in mathematics um, and took writing classes on the side. And I ended up working for about five years as a computer games programmer in Los Angeles and spending my evenings in the open mic community, uh, reading poetry and getting to know local poets. And at some point I woke up and I realized I was no longer happy with my programming life and I wanted to do spend more time writing. So I did the MFA in creative writing at UC Riverside and then um, spent a year back in Canada and then did a PhD at USC. And I will say I probably spent longer in school than Juhi, but we're probably close rivals. <laughs> um, and I, I think the, so for me, I've always been involved with writing, whether it's been poetry or it's been computer programming, both of which I feel are creative labors that involve language, rules, creativity, and imagination. This particular project, I think, has been close to both of us because it really speaks to the ways in which like technology and humanity are more closely tied together. They reveal something about each other. And these are kind of the stories that we're interested in telling with this particular project and with some other projects we worked on earlier. I'm probably the oldest one here. I think I've been doing this longer than some of you have been alive because um, I started as a kid. So I've been connected with the Music Center since the 1970s. And I uh, studied as a performer. I... Um, was then out of college early and uh, was a music teacher. And from there, my brother, Leroy, uh, dragged me uh, 
back into performing. And there I, I kind of fell into LA Opera and have been working here for 30 years, uh, basically as a singer, as a chorus member, as uh, then a director and storyteller. And I, and I realized that uh, one of the things that I really enjoy is trying to, to figure out how to uh, do some storytelling. And every year that passes, it's, it's how to get more interesting in, in storytelling and, and making it fun for not only the people that are taking part, but the people who are also listening. Awesome. Well, thank you. And, and Eli, you're also a composer and you've composed many things for us. Yes, I it's it's one of the great privileges. I'm a very fickle individual. I'm very fortunate that this department allows me to go into different sides of my brain, whether it's performing or whether it's directing and being a, a cop or whether it's creating the piece and the story itself by by doing it through music. So I, I'm very fortunate to to have this job. This project sort of jumped into already an existing project. Is that right? Neil and I have been wanting to do an opera about Ada Lovelace for at least a couple of years. And what we had been doing over that couple of years is whenever we'd have a break between other projects and other commissions, we'd kind of get together and try to write one little piece. That's why we have an aria and a duet and a couple of other little bits and pieces. The machine is dense, capable of performing every calculation. Why does it feel he beholds a simple thing? Performing every calculation, addition, subtraction, And we just were never at the stage to sit down and actually do the whole thing together. So, Andrea, when we were talking with you and with Stacey Brightman, um, somehow that conversation came up and it was just, it was really exciting and also really sort of terrifying for me as a composer because it went from, we'll do this someday, we're working on bits and pieces, we'll do this someday too. Now we're doing it now when we have less than two months to write the entire thing start to finish. <laughs> What had gotten you both interested? You had mentioned that you were both doing some computer programming previously. Was that where the inspiration came from? The critical portion of my dissertation was on uh, 19th century artificial intelligences and really sort of the evolution of the idea that a machine might be a person and what that would tell us about um, people that were referred to as thinking machines. And kind of critical or central to that whole discussion in the 19th century was this 19th century mathematician, Charles Babbage, who uh, designed, partially built, but never finished what would have been the first computer. And working alongside him from about the 1850s onward, he started working with uh, Ada Lovelace. And Ada was uh, 17 years old at the time, was the daughter of Lord Byron. Her mother did not want him to, want her to uh, grow up like her wild and crazy father, so trained her in mathematics and science. So we, we had been talking about like both stories, about the Babbage story, to be obsessed with the dream that was larger than a lifetime to fulfill, in which no one understood what you were trying to build. And also about Ada's part in that story, in which she turns out to be one of the few people that does understand Babbage's dream, but understands it in a way that turns out to be even more comprehensive and expansive than he had imagined. From Ada, we get the vision of the computer as being a general purpose device 
um, that we use not just for the sciences or for math, but for art, for the creation of beauty. And uh, that's one of her great insights into um, what the future of that machine could be. That idea of that really didn't matter how old you were. It didn't matter who your parents were or what your situation was that you could have a contribution to the history, the development of an idea and radically change the world, we felt was a story that we wanted to tell. And Ada was just the perfect vehicle to, to talk about that. You know, I should also say, I remember when Neil first told me about Ada, and this was after I had already started the computer science program at USC and been doing it for a little while. I was absolutely shocked that I had never heard of this woman. And I think that's one of the reasons after Neil first told me about her, her name stuck around. And that was something we kept talking about for so long because her contribution was so phenomenal. The idea that her name is not more well-known was shocking to me. And that was just something that was a story that we wanted to tell. So you get these ideas and you're like, wow, that's amazing. And how do you know what you want to do with it? How do you know what shape you want it to take? It's always a conversation. Juhi and I work very closely together on these projects. I'm guilty of having these big ideas. I'm kind of babbage sometimes in that way. <laughs> and so I have this huge vision for what I want to cover in the story. And Juhi will help remind me that we only have this amount of time. And we need to tell a story that's shorter, <laughs> that's more compact. And so we will go back and forth and we'll hammer out, we usually hammer out, especially for this one, sort of a plot synopsis, a breakdown of like, what are some of the key scenes that we need or key moments that, that really feel like need to be included. If we can identify those key ones, then we can start stitching together the rest of the narrative and figure out like, if it only takes place in this amount of time or around this small set of scenes, what do we need to do to make that work? I would say, I think Neil and I make a good team on this partly because I am the obsessively detailed, I'm the person with the spreadsheets and sketchbooks and notes all over the place and, you know, exact timings and a stopwatch. We bounced ideas back and forth a lot while we were working on this. I think, Neil, we probably spent three or four hours a week on mm -hmm. Skype calls, looking at words, talking about the shape. And then on my part, of course, once Neil gives me the words, it's all about sitting down and thinking about maybe some musical themes and, you know, really looking at a lot of shows, including some of Eli's that I thought were great models for us to use and kind of building from that to try to identify, well, here's the story we want to tell. Here are some themes we want to bring back as far as ideas. So this idea of, you know, being brave enough to speak out for yourself, chasing something that is important to you. Uh, there's sort of this theme running through from beginning to the end. First, the chorus starts in this piece as kind of doubting Maria, who's, you know, kind of a counterpart for Ada in this story, so that the, the women are having to fight against the, this kind of ambiguous force that doesn't believe they can do what they want to do. And over the course of the piece, it transforms so that now the chorus comes to understand and all comes together. So musically kind of playing with that and trying to knit musical connections between what happens in the beginning and what happens at the end so that you hear that transformation from the beginning to the end, and hopefully that tells part of the story. Yeah, I, I think going along with that, you know, in terms of the, the text, as I'm writing, I'm always thinking about what phrases could be repeated, what phrases could operate in more than one way throughout the entirety of the piece. Um, because my goal is always to give Juhi something juicy, something really good to work with that feels like it could be a hook or it could be an anthem, it could be something. And so while 
I'm not versed in writing the actual composition, I am thinking constantly about like what types of things um, would work musically that I could imagine. And if I could imagine them, then she can probably take them like to infinity and beyond, you know, <laughs> it'll become something completely different and even better. But always thinking about the fact that this is not just as it appears on the page, but it's in the mouth of a speaker or a singer and so it needs to it needs to be something that feels good in the mouth, something that feels like it might take up space on a stage or in a room, in the ears of the listeners in some way. And so always thinking about what does that phrase do and how many different ways might it work. Well, so in addition to this being unusual because it's a new commission, it's also unusual because we're doing this online. So I kind of want to ask Eli, once you get a score like this, how do you start thinking about if even if we weren't online, if we were doing this in person, how do you start thinking about what that looks like for students when you have to work with groups of 50 people? <laughs> what does it start to take shape as for you? My primary job is not necessarily to be a composer. I'm a puzzle person, figuring out puzzles. And in this situation, as a, as a 20th century composer myself, I have to put up rules it was our fearless leader, Stacy Brightman, I believe, who came up with a great idea of, of trying to tell this story as a graphic novel. We were coming together with some ideas of how we can create a graphic novel with a chorus of individuals and professional singers within this graphic novel. The other piece of the puzzle is that this, although might be done right now as a graphic novel for online purposes, it could be a great stage piece. And how would a graphic novel on, unfold on stage? And so I, I was putting the pieces together so that while we're creating design, that design can be translated onto the stage at another time. So all of these pieces uh, are coming together to, to create this graphic novel where we can turn the pages online and, and really tell the stories as each individual is singing, is speaking. We already have a, a design unfolding in which we are in a father's home with uh, a daughter named Maria. And uh, Maria is trying to figure out, you know, what she wants to do in college. And some of the school staff is trying to help her, trying to get her to fill out some surveys, but she is afraid. And all of these moments get to be captured. And we're what we're planning on doing, because I don't draw, or at least nobody really wants to see what I draw. <laughs> you know, as a comic strip, that's just crazy. So uh, we are actually going to be trying to use photography and using uh, a design feature in which we take photography and we turn it into a graphic uh, image and then superimpose these graphic images to help tell our story in a, in a graphic way. And if you can imagine that we're doing this with 10 high schools, 10 secondary schools, there's a lot of images that we have to play with. <laughs> I feel sorry for the people who's going to have to deal with the thousands of images that, that we have to play with in this. 
as a creative person, we have sleepless nights, and and now this staff can actually have some sleepless <laughs> nights working with the, <laughs> this image. <laughs> Uh, convoy. I, I want to use the word convoy. I don't know why, because it's just one right after the other, one image right after the other. If there was something that you could tell the students that would either like help clue them into this process or help clue them into who the characters are or what the music is that really help you understand opera. I, I think there are themes. We talk, I talked about that a little bit earlier, but it's such a big part of opera history that when you were telling a story for the longest time, you'd have a theme associated maybe with a character or a single musical theme associated maybe with some recurrent idea or something that comes back. And, and if we're not totally clear what a theme is, would you mind telling us? Oh, sure. Oh, tricky one to describe, actually. Um, it is a chunk of music associated with something recognizable. So if I say Star Wars, what's the first thing that popped into your head? Maybe it's... Yeah. <laughs> or da, 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 da. Like any one of those. Those would be examples of themes. Because it's just... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> something so recognizable that you associate with a character or with a moment. Um, and we've tried to build actually some careful transformation of that through the piece. So maybe the biggest thing I would say to listen for as you're working on this is try to find that one core theme. I think you'll find it. It's pretty recognizable when it comes back. And it transforms a little bit from the beginning when Maria first appears and she's really kind of unsure to the end where she's really claiming ownership of being able to decide for herself kind of what she's going to do. Well, I, I was talking to a friend of mine. He reminded me that it was this, uh, a celebration, uh, a marathon for Bugs Bunny. He and I are both Bugs Bunny fans, and actually, uh, the the work of Chuck Jones as director for for a lot of cartoons in that period of time um, was a master at at playing with melodrama. And when when I think of opera, I think of of the melodrama, what the music and what the words and what the individuals are doing to help tell a story. And the incredible thing is if it's done well, the music, the story, and the actors, singers are all coming together to give you many layers of the stories how the people believe, what their backgrounds are, what they feel on the inside, what they're doing. There's, there's just so much melodrama. And in, in this, the, the, the choices of instruments that we have creates a lot of interesting color. And when you think about how that, co that musical color fits into how the character of Maria is, or even Mr. Babbage. And there's a scene in which we're in Mr. Babbage's atrium, and he's trying to explain the idea of this machine, this analytical machine. And 
this music that's there is pointed and all of these people are coming out with questions and it's a cacophony of sound and noise and you, it it's all this melodrama that's going to be very playful and and I would think that it's a lot of fun trying to put pictures in your mind as you're listening to the music as you're listening to the singers of how all of this melodrama is playing and working together to create this vision of a story. Mr. Babbage, how does it work? Weren't you listening? Mr. Babbage, is it for sale? Where the scientific questions? Can it find me a wife? No, where the men of science? Can it pay quitting horses? That's not how it works. Can it fit in my pocket? Why? Why would you ask me that? How does it work? Can it pick winning horses? Can it find me a wife? Can it fit in my pocket? Make it fit in my pocket. Can it fit me a dream? That's one of my five favorite scenes from this opera. <laughs> is there anything that you would add to that neil definitely i'd say much of what juhi said also applies to the language to the dialogue that there are phrases that um, maria uses or that ada use uses earlier on in the piece like in some of the scenes that will get transformed later on and become shift from from a place of doubt or questioning and turn into something more confident and engaged and proactive and powerful. And sometimes these are the same phrases get slightly altered. And in other cases, they get completely inverted and transformed. And something that seems like a cage or a trap at the beginning becomes something that is completely blown apart and then the limits are are endless. And I, I think that sort of that sense of claustrophobia at the beginning and the the sense of this this almost infinite expansion at the end um that that's all played out in language but also played out in the music the two things all those things should be combining together hopefully i i envy those people that can read the music and imagine that full chorus and the 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 instruments behind it my skills at imagining music are much, much more inferior than everyone else in this conversation. But even still, I can kind of sight read enough that I can see what's happening. And I just, I'm always excited to see what the final embodiment of that sound is. I'd like to just talk to you briefly about the sort of themes that emerged. And, and when we say themes this time, I mean the, the messages that sort of came mm -hmm. through for you. I think one of the biggest ones for me has been just this idea of being brave enough to decide for yourself, even when you're dealing with social pressure or peer pressure or all these things. Because at the start of the opera, you know, as, as Eli had said, Maria is just trying to decide what to do about her classes. And she's feeling so anxious about it because of all these worries, because she's not sure if she can do it, because she's not sure what people will think, um, because of the uncertainty of it. So, and that's where Ada's story comes in, I think, just to give her a role model or somebody that you can see it can be done. A 17-year-old girl could do it in 1830, 1840. So, to give her a role model. Hear the men of science gather voices like a storm. So many 
So that one part of it, I think, is really about just even through your fear, through your doubts, all of that, just being brave enough to choose for yourself. I think the other sort of counterpoint to that that comes out towards the end of the opera is that then we also have to be accepting enough not to be that voice of peer pressure on other people, you know, just to really let everybody choose what they need to choose and let them chase what they need to chase and to not be kind of a voice of judgment around that. I agree wholeheartedly. I think one of the big themes as as Juhi talks about is this sense that this ability to to determine one one own's path. I think at the beginning a lot of the language is about, you know, this is what others expect. This is this is the room that that has been chosen for me but it's, it's not what you've chosen for yourself. I think it was very important, just as Juhi mentioned earlier, that even though she had started down the path for, for computer science, she had not been aware of Ada and Ada's story. Although there's been a lot of work to try to raise sort of the profile of Ada Lovelace and the organization, the, the, the collecting together and the collaborations and the the organizing of women in programming has been going on for a number of years. And in fact, they they actually do have an Ada Lovelace Day, and there is a, a society of women programmers out there. And there is a programming language even named after Ada. But it still remains that the vast majority of people are unfamiliar with her story and usually become aware later in their careers, not at the start of their careers, of Ada's story. And so I, I think part of what I feel is like a really important theme is that we can find examples in history of others. Just because we haven't heard of it before does not mean that there are other people who have not gone on before us and blazed a trail for us and done things already that we can find inspiration. And I think the other theme that I really I'm biased towards is the theme that the machine, that technology isn't necessarily about separating us from other people or dehumanizing us, but can also be a place in which beauty and art and um, inclusion happen, that possibility for transformation, for imagining other worlds and other futures can take place through technology. Um, There's Babbage's dream of this machine is so outlandish, just without parallel, to imagine a computer in which there is no world that knows yet what to do with it or language to speak about it, and then try to carry that dream forward. And then to discover, you know, just a handful of people, and Ada being one of the the key ones who sees it, um, the value of friendship, the value of um, collaboration, and the value of, like, imagination. Making room for thinking about technology as a space of possibility um, and not a space of of separation, which I feel is really appropriate for right now. (laughs) I'm going to be very simple and and probably use uh, images that are just in my own experience. And and that is, you, you will notice that both Maria and Ada have these limitations in the mind 
from what voices from the outside have have you know just like been put on them so there are people who you know when when they're going to try something you you hear that voice you can't do that or you know you're you're not smart enough or you know you're too short for that and um the thing is that those voices just play in the mind over and over and over again with maria there aren't any people you you'll hear a full chorus singing a song there's nobody in the house except for maria and the father but all of these voices from so many people are telling her be quiet be safe stay small and and we all have these negative voices the judgment side uh that make us stay small and both Ada and Maria have to acknowledge that the voices are there and move through with regards to their passion. They have to move through and open up their imaginations and their lives into something even greater. And I think that even personally, you got these negative voices that fight you and you have to either acknowledge them put them to the side and then continue on or completely ignore it and do something or accept the fact that you're going to fail and do it anyway. And, and so I am interested in that kind of lesson coming from this because it, it does grow so that those voices are now not voices that hold back, but, but encourage in the end. And these voices now are are helping you to move forward and that's just in your mind if if i think about it personally those those are the voices that say dude you could do this go on try it and 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 you it does push you forward and past that border that you have put for yourself or that society has put there for you that you don't dare pass until something encourages you to pass it well, thank you. I want to thank everybody for giving such like wonderful, candid responses to those questions, because I think there's a, a lot of wisdom there. And I'm really excited about this project. I've been listening to it. I've, I've read the libretto, which is beautiful. And I've been listening to the to the MIDI tracks, which is which are amazing. And I just want to thank all of you for taking the time today to talk to us about what this project is and about your careers and what your creative trajectory has been. Is there anything that you'd like to say to the students before we go? I'll say one, have fun with it. And I think look for ways to put yourself in the story. I think that's something that maybe is tricky to do, particularly when we're doing it digitally. Um, but I think the story is better and the music is better the more of yourself you can put into it. So I look forward to seeing what they do with that. I would totally agree with that statement. Yeah, I agree completely. Yes, read yourself into it. You've been listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain. Thank you, and see you at the opera. If you've enjoyed listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain, you'll want to make sure you don't miss an episode. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to share this with your friends on Twitter and Facebook, and we'll see you at the opera.